Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome back to episode uh, 12 of Frontside the Podcast. My name is Charles. And I'm Brandon. Yep. And we have with us, uh, this is the second week in a row now that we've got a special guest with us. Uh, this week we have Sarah May um, joining us from San Francisco, California. Woo. All right. And so, yeah, yeah. Hi, Sarah. Uh, uh, I think everybody in programming knows who you are, but um, for <laughs> the people, maybe our non-programming listeners, uh, uh, can you can you share a little bit about yourself and um, what what you like to do and stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm Sarah May. I'm the chief consultant at DevMind Software, which means I do software consulting, mostly Rails and JavaScript, large code bases. I help people figure out how to refactor things for the most part. I do a lot of conference speaking. Um, occasionally I blog. Mostly I just put stuff on Twitter because it's easier than blogging. <laughs> it's 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 got it's got certainly got its place. <laughs> so yeah, that's actually um, so a thing a thing you said on Twitter apparently uh, uh, it, it had a big effect on me, and apparently I wasn't the only person that was sort of affected by it. And so I was so I was so affected by it that I actually wanted to explore explore it with you a little bit. And so I don't. Uh, I, Normally, like I have an idea for a podcast, which is just literally reading uh, your Twitter feed to people now. Um, <laughs> so we'll give people a taste of what that podcast is going to be like. So I'm going to read that. I'm going to read that tweet. It says, PSA, it's okay if you don't love programming. You can still be a fantastic developer if you're motivated instead by what you can do with it. And it sounds sort of innocuous, but but the idea of, of not loving programming and doing it professionally is, is sort of, uh, it's a surprisingly controversial topic. And... Uh, but it affected me a lot, and I think it affected some other people. But I want to kind of ask uh, what, uh, you know, without getting too personal, like what, what kind of motivated you to, to share that and what some of your thoughts are around that, like a little more context than you get on Twitter. Well, I think that we have, we have a myth. We have many myths in our industry. But one of them is that uh, there's this idea of someone who loves programming. They just want to do it all the time. They want to spend all their time both at work and after work and on the weekends doing programming because I just like it. Uh, and uh, I have never been one of those people, to be perfectly honest. And I, I like programming, well, reasonably enough, you know, to be able to do it well. Uh, but what I'm motivated by is not the act of programming itself, the typing and the syntax and the figuring out of error messages and the you know, clever constructions of learning how to do things with, you know, iteration versus uh, recursion and things like that. Like all of that stuff, uh, has never been that exciting for me. What's exciting for me has always been the things that I can do with it, that I can build stuff with it. Uh, and what really got me into programming when I was in college, which is the first time I encountered it, was the possibility of actual positive social change that I could affect using software, not the programming itself. Now, programming itself, I found, is kind of a thing that I had to learn how to do in order to get the things that I actually wanted, which was to build things. And I okay. feel like there's a lot of people right now that are learning programming. And there's a reasonable number of people, even people who teach some of these programming boot camps and so on, who will say things like, well, you know, it, if you don't like programming now, you know, to someone who's learning it, who's figuring it out, who's getting through, you know, the basic syntax problems, if you don't like it now, then maybe it's not for you. And I don't think that's true. I think that, and I think that's a harmful thing to say for, uh, to most people. Because for most people, it's not a natural thing. It's not something that feels like a natural way of thinking. They have to work at it to get it. Uh, and you, and some people are going to have an external motivation for doing that, and some people are going to do it for the love of it. 
but either way, you can end up a good programmer on the other side. Okay. So, so I think that actually explain that kind of answers the first question I had, which is like, what does it necessarily mean to not love it? Because it sounds like you can, um, uh, there are parts of it that are very difficult and it doesn't necessarily have to be the, the process doesn't necessarily have to be enjoyable for it to be meaningful. Um, and, uh, one of the questions that I, that I was thinking of is like, are there different forms that, that, uh, that, that takes, like, do you love, like you said, you, a big thing for you is enacting social change through the things that you build. Um, uh, do you, do you think it's, do you think it's possible that a person has to love some component of it or could a person be completely dispassionate uh, and still enjoy and, and still like do this for a living? I think that you can, it's possible to find many things to like about it, right? I think that they, we, there's a spectrum of things that motivate people to program. And, and for a long time, we've drawn a line and said that these are acceptable and these are not, these on this side are acceptable and these on this side are not acceptable. And um, for example, for a long time, even though, I held this belief for a long time that uh, you didn't have to love it for, to do programming. I had this idea that like, if, if you only did it for the money, then you couldn't get very good at it. I actually don't think that's true anymore. I think that no matter what your motivation is, even if it's like, hey, look at this awesome career where I can, uh, in, you know, for the example, for, to take a personal example, be a single mom and still support my entire family on one salary. Like, that's pretty amazing. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think that that's uh, an intrinsically bad motivation either. I think that you can become a good developer no matter what your motivation is. Um, that, that's cool. And I think it's a different way of thinking about it than people are pitched. Certainly when I hear about it in, in uh, like, like uh, programming schools and reading books, you know, everybody talks about the passion for it. That every, every, uh, every job description when I was trying to break into programming was looking for passionate people. Um, I don't know that I see as much about that. There's been a little bit of backlash about the, the word uh, passion. Um, yeah, Abdi Grimm had a great blog post about there, a couple of blog posts actually about this. Uh, or I think it might have been earlier this year that are worth looking at, um, uh, where okay. he basically talked about the idea that he's an enthusiastic programmer. He likes programming. He doesn't feel passionate about it, and he reserves the word passion for things that really matter to him as core values, and for him that's things like family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for, for uh, I, I think that's true for a lot of people. We should definitely link to that in the show notes. I did read those, and I think that was sort of part of this uh, this kind of feeling that's starting to emerge where people are, are considering the word pa passionate to start being a red flag for people who are looking to exploit a bunch of free labor. Um, I, yeah, there's I, that I, aspect of it, too. I think it's very <laughs> important to, to touch on. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I don't want to, you know, like it's, it, it's tricky because now um, – you and I have both in it, uh, and Charles have all all been in position to kind of look for the kind of people you want to work with and to to be in a position to hire people. Um, if you're if you're in a position to hire people, uh, what what advice would you give to people uh, if they come across somebody that doesn't appear to be passionate about the act of programming itself, but but are are sort of latched onto some other aspect? You know, I think that you can tell. Uh, you can tell when you talk to someone how enthusiastic they are about programming and about or, or about programming sort of in the larger sense of like what you can do with it um what kind of stuff you can you know how you can change your own life or the lives of people around you with technology uh i, I one of the things that i think is interesting is that in abdi's blog he talked about this idea of uh he called them wage slaves who are people that were for whom programming was just a job uh mm -hmm. and i think that and it was clear you know what he the way he talked about it was he said there are people who, you know, they're people that 
whose eyes glaze over when I start talking about design and people who, you know, when they leave work, they just go to the bar and watch a game or they go fishing on the weekend. They don't program on the weekend. And, and he found them, they clearly weren't people that he wanted to be around. Um, and I think but there's a bunch of different aspects of that just a job thing that are rolled in there that I think are interesting to, to untangle a little bit. Like, for example, um, uh, it doesn't really matter that they go fishing on the weekends and don't program on the weekends, right? There's plenty of people that do that. I've, I've known, you know, the, when I worked at Pivotal Labs, it was built around this idea that you have a sustainable pace. You work between nine and six, and then you stop working. And people had all kinds of other stuff that they did outside of work. Uh, some of them did programming, but most of them didn't. And they were still, most of them, fantastic developers. And so it's not that they don't do it outside of work. I mean, the, the idea is that you want someone that cares about the quality of the work that they put out. Um, and that comes back to what Abdi mentioned as like the, you know, the guy whose eyes glaze over when he starts talking about design at work. Like that's what you need to watch for. That's what you do. That's what you want to avoid hiring. But people confuse that and they think, well, if they don't program outside of work, then they must not care about the quality of the things that they do. But they still have to be personally invested in in the in the process and the the the, the, the act itself, I guess is what you're saying. Like for whatever wherever that motivation comes from, there still has to be a strong commitment to, to having, you know, a, a a quality outcome. Yeah, and I think that that's independent of whether or not you like the little fiddly bits that, that get you there. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's it's um, so so for me, it's I've arrived at it in, in a different way where the the act of programming I find to be uh, consistently painful, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it doesn't go away. It's always painful, and I would always rather be doing something else. And it made me feel like I'm broken. Um, and but I'm I'm a goal oriented person. You're just not a masochist. That's the problem. I I don't like the part of hiking where you hike up the hill, but I like hiking, if that makes sense. Like I don't like putting one foot in you front like of the other. You like looking out across out the valley. But yes, I love, I, and it's not just the summit. It's just the the experience in its totality wound, winds up having been worth it. Um, and and programming for me is the same thing, where it's it's uh, it's the existence is pain type of thing. But mm-hmm. I'm glad to have existed in this space for that time, and I come away with something that I've learned. Uh, and I I hope to, and and but the other half of it is in terms of caring about the quality of things that I ship. I really didn't initially because I'm so goal oriented and it's only through the process of, of having that, having shipping low quality things come around and bite me. Then learning from that pain that my preference is to ship high quality stuff. It's, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, I I mean, I do derive some satisfaction from it, but it's not, it's not the same as, as I feel from other people. And I always felt like a little different or other because of that. And it was really cool to, to kind of realize there's a spectrum of different types of personalities uh, involved in this process. Yeah, I know. I certainly like in my, my experiences, I certainly come from the background where, you know, I am, I'm definitely the person who was, you know, coding during the morning, during the day, during the night on the weekends before I had a family. Uh, now I'm much more balanced, but, but, um, you know, at the same time, kind of as I've, as I've grown, my understanding of what programming is, is kind of, I, I would say widened. Whereas, you know, I was very much, focused on the the puzzle solving uh, aspect of it but at that time at the you know in the early stages of my career it was much more of a game and kind of one of the things that I've grown is that you you realize is that you know the the things that you built and the quality uh, qualities that they take on and the shape of, of of the software that you write ultimately can't be disconnected from you know the the, the things that you're doing with it um, the 
the the the the overarching systems that they're building and the impact that they have on people and that there's um, you know these are these are two connected concepts and they feed back and play on each other uh, and so you know kind of you know for me it's been kind of coming coming um, you know across the opposite side where you know kind of moving towards now I'm really more appreciating uh, the things that I can do with software and the things that I can build um, and you know the programming is just kind of that that thing that gets you there, um, but I think you can, you know, along the arc of uh, of your career, you can kind of um, you know live in different on different sides of that uh, of that valley, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely, and and, and you can it. travel back and forth. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that most people do live in different parts of that of that spectrum at different parts of their career, um, and. I also think that there are uh, people who are coming from a less traditional background probably are less likely to start there. Right? They're less likely to start in the place that we have. It's sort of our, our origin story of programmers in the Valley, right? Which is like, you know, they all started to program when they were 12 years old and they loved games and they loved the problem solving aspect of it. And, and, and like you did, they, they grow over time to become more cognizant of the systems and the things they can build. and and start thinking about programming as a way to get there. Uh, I think that there's a whole nother set of people that we haven't been as successful as folding into our community as programmers that come at it from a different perspective. Uh, and I think it's interesting to think about like what, if we redefined you know, how we think about someone who's a good programmer and we look at mastery as something that can come from many different directions, like who mm -hmm. else can we bring into our community that we don't have here right now? And so I really like I like your viewpoint on this, and it's an incredibly inclusive thing, and it and it doubly affects me because I'm the type of person who's always uh, cer uh, certainly I have I could never say that I've been excluded in programming. That's an, that would never be a fair statement. I've been you know thoroughly thoroughly included, but it also doesn't doesn't change the fact that there that I kind of look around and realize that my motivations and, and experiences are different uh, than the majority of people that I typically work with, and. Um, what, what, so it sort of surprises me when I see a reaction to you coming forward and saying something like this uh, to it kind of inspire some defensiveness in people. And I wanted to mm -hmm. explore that for a, se for a second and kind of, uh, you know, like the, the, one of the reactions we got was, hey, would you eat food uh, from a chef who didn't love food? Um, and and I'll, I'll kind of, I don't know if you want to answer that or just kind of explore the larger context of people get a little defensive about this because maybe there's something that they feel like they risk losing in, in this, in, in opening that up or, or to that style of thinking. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, that there are, I've actually been thinking about that metaphor a reasonable amount. I think it's actually pretty apt if you think about it, there are, um, but the way that I would put it is, uh, would you eat food from a chef who doesn't like chopping vegetables? Mm -hmm. Right. Chopping vegetables is sort of the low level fiddly part of building an amazing meal. I hate chopping vegetables. I will be very straightforward about that. Uh, <laughs> and as a result, I don't probably do as much cooking as I should. Um, but, uh, you know, as as a chef acquires more experience and moves up through the industry, they start to have people whose job it is underneath them to chop the vegetables for them so that they can come in and do the higher value work, which is more interesting, which is taking the chopped vegetables and turning them into the actual amazing part of the meal. Uh, and so I think that there's actually quite a few similarities between uh, the way that we look at chefs and the way that we look at uh, programmers in that there are, you know, low level parts of things to be done 
when you're building a system that's going to have an impact on the world. And you may or may not enjoy that part of it. That doesn't mean that you're, you don't enjoy the whole outcome of the process. That's, that's actually the conclusion I reached too, which is like, uh, you know, I may not enjoy the chopping of vegetables and I, I actually really don't care for cooking, but I like providing good experiences for people. And periodically I will cook a meal and I take pleasure in cooking a good meal uh, rather than throwing, you know, uh, some nights I, I will throw the craft dinner in, but other, other nights, uh, I, I, you know, I will take my time about it. And even though the process of cooking is not enjoyable to me, the, the result, again, it's that sort of deal. Maybe there's nothing I enjoy that much. I don't know. <laughs> but, I'd also say it's more important for me to have a chef who's passionate about keeping clean dishes and uh, a hygienic kitchen than actually personally that the chef loves food. Um, <laughs> you know, to, to, their entire to, fast food franchise is based on that model. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to come back to something else you brought up, though, and that is uh, the idea that some people are get a little bit defensive when we talk about this topic because it is uh, a change in the way that we think about how we screen people to, and how do we identify people that we want to work with. Um, it used to be that, uh, you know, if, if you look at it in a very traditional mindset, the way that, and this is a very sort of, uh, you see this writ large in, in things like Y Combinator and so on, where they have, uh, where they talk about pattern matching. They talk about looking for people that match a particular pattern. And what they mean by that is a particular history, which usually means, you know, we started programming when we were young and uh, we got good at it when we were in our teenage years. And by the time we got to our early 20s, we were reasonably proficient. And we went to a particular set of schools and we have a particular set of credentials. And that's how they find people to fund uh, startups. And I think that we have encoded this set of things that we believe leads to becoming a good developer. And uh, I think people may think that what I'm doing is asking them to accept, you know, the presence in their companies or, or in their work groups or whatever of people who aren't good developers. And maybe they don't look like good developers if you apply those set of criteria to them. But that's not actually what I'm arguing for at all. What I'm arguing for is the inclusion of people that are good developers, but don't have that set of credentials um, and backgrounds and preferences that make them an obvious choice. And I guess the, the requisite for that that's sort of tricky is to ask the question, well, what, is, what qualifies a person as a good developer? Yeah, that is a, that's the million dollar question. I suppose, right? <laughs> there's not, there's not a, and that's, I, I don't think you can, I don't think, I don't think there is, I don't think there is one set of criteria. Well, and I, mean, and I, I think that's like, the problem, right? That's, that's why we have these discussions. That's why we have these shorthands that we've developed, you know, the, you know, writes code at night, must be a good developer, right? Paul Graham has said as much uh, in those almost exact words several times. And so we have developed these shorthands because we don't have good criteria for really knowing what makes a good developer. I don't know if it's possible to do. Yeah. And it's, and, and the thing is, it's, um, there are a lot of little mental tricks you have to employ, uh, to guard against a lot of stereotypes we have about what will make a good developer. Mm -hmm. And, um, I find myself, you know, I meet people and I, I work, I, I feel like I work really hard at, at, Tr trying to dissociate my, uh, stereotypes and, and 
break them out of my thinking, but I cannot help it when I meet a person and I, I meet a person that looks like they're wearing the hoodie. They look like, you know, they look like a longtime hacker. They've got, you know, the, the, the perfect developer look in some way or other. And, and according to like Y Combinator rules of entry. And, uh, and I find myself assuming that person must be an experienced developer of some kind. And, and mm -hmm. it turns, sometimes that's not true. And sometimes the opposite is true in other cases. And so, um, right down to somebody's appearance and the way that they dress or whatever, like it's it's really easy to fall into uh, a set of assumptions about uh, cult some cultural stereotypes about what make a, a good developer, and that and, and that's why we've invited you to this six hour podcast about what makes a good developer. <laughs> yeah, we'll just sit there and discuss that for yeah. We could. How many weeks do you have? <laughs> yeah, I mean. The only, you know, at the at the at the risk of saying something concrete, I like, I think maybe maybe perhaps like the ability to think laterally uh, is is some aspect that's universal for good developers. Uh, being able to make connect, see see connections and divine relationships that were unseen before, and you know, I think it's, you know, I see this a lot in in you know, for example, you, Brandon, you and I come from very different backgrounds. Uh, in terms of how we arrived at um, at becoming developers, but I think you you have a, just a fantastic take on every application and project that we work on that's so different from my own that it, it, it reveals things that I just were, were unseen to me. You know, just like you're standing, uh, you know, you're standing in a different place and you can see around corners, which I can't merely I, I can't see just because of where I'm sitting. And I think if you you know to the thing of being inclusive, that's kind of uh, you know, you're you're decentralizing and you know not having a single point of failure as pertains to perspective, and you know doing that having having a bunch of different people, uh, you know, with different backgrounds kind of does that at your at the team level uh, instead of the level of the individual. Um, I think um, I'm going to stop you because I I received a compliment and so we should probably end the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually the signal. Uh, so so uh, but but I before before we wrap this up, I, we do try to keep this to about half an hour. We got about three or four or five minutes left. So uh, I, I had a, a couple things and and um, speaking of of compliments and, and that lateral style of thinking, I've seen uh, three or four talks of of yours, Sarah. Now um, from before before you knew me and uh, after we had a chance to meet. And um, I see you in that role as sort of this uh, a voice for lateral thinking in programming, um, and and that you know I, I I declare that to be insight. Like I think you're I, I really appreciate your insights on this stuff, and and it requires a little bravery to come out and say some of this stuff. I don't know if that comes with uh, uh, maturity in the in the field or whatever, but you, you seem pretty bold about saying some of this stuff. So I wanted first off I wanted to say thank you for for sharing that stuff. It actually does mean a lot to people like me. Um, and me, thank you. <laughs> and 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 the second, I just want to uh, wrap with a question about um, talking to people because we could argue all day about uh, what what makes a good developer. Um, I think they make people around them better, and you know about three years later if you're maintaining their code whether they were good or not good. And, yeah, and so I that actually can... often think about it as a multiplier effect rather than yeah. as something that can be measured at the time. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's, go on. that's a no. That's a good. Um, Man, it's and that's why it's actually really vital and really important um, for individuals like that might feel uh, might feel in that spot where they're uh, not necessarily there's not the the joy that other people and they kind of look around and uh, the people that would most likely have been affected by the, by what you said about hey this it's actually okay to feel that way. Uh, do you have any thoughts or advice for them on 
uh, finding joy in individual aspects of it or, or things that have helped you kind of latch on when um, it's hard to get super thrilled about the actual activity? When you're chopping vegetables, like, do you have any advice for the people that are chopping vegetables? Because you got to do that for a few years. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, it's, it, for me, early in my career, it was important for me to find a company that I felt like was actually contributing to uh, to the social good of the world, if you will, uh, that was actually building something that was going to make people's lives materially better. And that was how I motivated myself to actually do the, the programming work that was required to get to to get to mastery is because I felt like what I was doing was actually contributing towards something that I wanted to see happen. You know, it wasn't just, uh, you know, <laughs> Facebook for dogs, I guess is the example everyone <laughs> always gives, right? Of like, yeah, you know, we've run out of ideas. Let's just build Facebook for dogs. Uh, but there's so much stuff out there. There's so many opportunities out there right now for building something that's not just another taxi hailing app and not just another, you know, uh, way to, mine your data for money for advertisers and there's so many jobs out there right now and uh i think that the important thing if you're if you're at the vegetable chopping stage <laughs> and you and you need to make a living uh it's it's actually we're in, a, in such a great position right now to be able to find jobs that appeal to whatever it is that you want to see happen in the world whatever that is maybe it is facebook for dogs for some people so yeah, that's uh, like it's it's pers- like something that's personally meaningful, something that's uh, personally fulfilling. Um, I've seen people do that via side projects if they simply can't, you know, they're sort of locked into a job that they can't really do much about, mm-hmm. which, you know, periodically happens. It's a pretty fluid uh, ecosystem right now. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But, and it's certainly but, harder if you're in the in a more junior position than it is if you're if you've got a few years of experience. And so I know it's not it's not necessarily open to everybody, but I think that uh, if you can find something even within the project that you're working on that makes, you know, helps you contribute to that feeling of like, this thing is useful yeah. then it can get you through that phase. That's awesome. I, I, I like that advice a lot. It, it's um, it certainly reflects my own experiences and trying to find um, try, trying to find pieces of this that are, that are meaningful to me as well. Um, and uh, not, not every, you know, we work in a consultancy and not every project is uh, you know, the next, uh, either the next Facebook or the next, you know, social social good uh, thing. And but but finding joy in the people that I work with and in uh, the the some of the details, uh, even if I'm not detail guy, uh, it, it's it's pretty cool. Um, and I, I, it matters a lot, I think, to work with people who are understanding of that. And I'm hoping, like, and and I'm grateful for you for doing this. And I'm hoping what what we're helping do by just discussing it is helping open up. Uh, people's ideas about what makes a good programmer, about uh, who who qualifies for for that, uh, and who uh, who you want to come in and, and include uh, when you're building things. Um, and so, uh, yeah, thanks very well, thank much. You. Yeah, thanks from, for inviting from, me. Yeah, from 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 a tweet that, but that clearly came from a lot of deep thinking. Um, and and I wanted I wanted to to thank you very much for uh, sharing that uh, knowledge and experience with us. Well, thanks for having me. It was good to talk to you about it. It's good talking with you. Uh, all right. Well, that's that's going to do it for for our episode this week. Um, thanks, Sarah, very much for coming. It was a, a tremendous pleasure. I hope I hope we get a chance to talk to you again sometime. And it's always fun to see you whenever I get to. Um, and also come to Austin. And... <laughs> someday I will. 
All right. Okay. Well, thanks very much. And everybody have a, have a wonderful week.